All right, well, first of all, I want to say um, that it's good to be with you, you today and that I was not chosen for this talk because I was an expert. <laughs> I wanted to say, you know, for parenting, um, I take great delight in the word um, in you sisters. And so to have a moment to be able to talk about, you know, the parenting talk was so sweet. And then today to talk about sexuality is so sweet as well and womanhood and what the Bible has to say about it. Um, so often when I've had conversations with many of you, we've talked about how it seems like certain things seem like topics you just don't talk about out loud. And so praise God for some time today to be able to talk about these things, to see that the word of God is sufficient in all ways, our womanhood, our sexuality, and that there is clarity on what it means to be a godly woman in these areas and that there's encouragement. Um, I have... Um, worked on this talk, even this morning I was like, oh, it's so hard to say this correctly. So forgive me that I'm sure it will be imperfect. I'm sure it will be. I hope that this is a beginning conversation of many conversations to come. This is a starter conversation. Um, and so encourage you that if you have questions after, if there are things that you're like, I don't know what you meant by that exactly, keep talking. Um, this is just kind of meant to be, be an introduction. Um, there's no way truly to cover all topics related to womanhood and sexuality in an hour and a half. And that's what we have together this morning. Um, but we, yeah, we just want to begin. So how do we fight against the lies of Satan and our own flesh and the world? It's kind of, I'm going to make sure this works. Teach me. All right. still didn't like me. Huh? Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. So 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Sisters, these verses were not written to men only, um, but to all Christians everywhere. They're not just to roughly 50% of University Baptist Church, but to all of us. We, sisters, have to fight our flesh and our desires in the world, which is constantly calling to us, telling us that what is good is not what God offers, and what God offers isn't good. Every time I walk into a store to buy anything, I'm surrounded by messages that I need to look a certain way or act a certain way, maintain a certain kind of home, or have children that seem a certain way to have a good family. I went swimsuit shopping yesterday. It's completely depressing, right? <laughs> Everywhere you look, there's perfect, with perfect bodies and altered images and constant reminders of you're, you're supposed to be a certain way, right? Um, every time I take my daughter's swimsuit or dress or short shopping, <laughs> I'm reminding that our world sexualizes girls from such a young age. Um, I can see the differences between boy clothes and girl clothes and the way they're cut and the sayings on them almost from the infant section. It's very different. Um, we've been involved in some beach volleyball lately, just put in a beach volleyball court, super exciting. And you only have to watch a minute of beach volleyball online to see the uniform expectations for men and women are extraordinarily dif different. Um, so whether we're noting a certain aesthetic on Instagram or we're looking at ads in a shopping mall, it seems that a woman's sexuality and identity has to be bought at the cost of her God-given individualism and modesty and personal beauty. And this can be discouraging indeed. 
So sisters, at times such as these, what scripture and what truth can we cling to? How do we handle sexuality with purity and honesty? What do we do when others sin against us and we experience the brokenness that comes from sin, from this? What do we do when we ourselves make foolish and sinful decisions that hurt ourselves and others? Is there indeed hope in God? Well, our time specifically today is to talk about how the world and sin infiltrates our thinking in matters of womanhood and sexuality, and to compare this to the truth of God's word, to see how we might better fight against the temptations that surround us, and to be healed by God's word, helped by his spirit and his church. And so uh, part one that I'll be teaching is going to focus more on looking at the truth of scripture, what kind of scripture says sexuality is, and then Erica is also going to be talking next about what do we do in this broken and fallen world. So we'll begin. I'm ready for the next slide. Thank you. All right, so part one, we're made in the image of God. What I would love for you to hear from this section is that we all have a body, but our identity is not in our body. It is in Christ. Let me say that one more time. We all have a body, but our identity is not in our body. It is in Christ. In Genesis 2, we see that God made us. The good creation belongs to the creator. So we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. Thank you. It may just be me. Thank you. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is an intimate relationship, sisters, where there is no room for the world. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, we're going to break it into pieces here. This is our next slide. Good, thank you. <laughs> All right, so let me read the beginning here, and you can read along behind. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what does that mean? What does it mean to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth, when we consider our sexual identity? Well, it means that magazine front pages and huge bathing suit ads as we walk through the mall and all who would manipulate and use our weakness to encourage us to buy their products, these are earthly things. But instead, here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked. So we also are reminded of God's saving grace when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, what does that mean? We're to put them all away and see the truth that we have a new self. One being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator, where Christ is all and in all. Sisters, I have to proclaim to myself and to others in my care, and I encourage you to proclaim to yourself and to others in your care. Um, self, you're not defined by your waist size or your breast size or your hair color. You're being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. Self, I must not receive the lies of the world. I do not have to be that definition of sexy or feminine or beautiful that the world is presenting to me. Lying to me and telling me I must be that to be worth anything. By God's grace, I am putting on the new self, and Christ is all and in all. 
This is not easy. All right, so in this, we have to examine our hearts and our lives to see the ways that the world has crept in. So I have to examine and think, in what ways am I thinking like the world, acting like the world, seeking the approval of the world? Satan's a deceiver, and his deceits are subtle. Um, one example of this I was thinking of was the idea of modesty. So we all know we're supposed to be modest, right? You're taught that if you're in church. You're taught that from when you're a little girl. Okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be modest? All right, so 2 Timothy 2, 9 through 10 says, Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Okay, so we know from the Word of God that we are to dress in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, all the while truly focusing on good works. That's the most important part. Well, what does that mean? How do we apply it? Which I found was so tricky because here when my girls hit the age where they're going to start buying their own clothes, and I'm like, you need to be modest. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like, a cap sleeve okay, but a tank top isn't? Or is a tank top good, but a spaghetti strap isn't? Like, where's the sin line? Like, how do I help you determine this, right? Like, when I'm actually thinking about what does modesty mean, it's very, it's very difficult. All right, so um, how do we apply it? What do we think? We see that God has left this up to interpretation, so there, we can't be dogmatic. We have to be careful, right, not to, to judge too harshly on these things. But he has also told us to do this, so we have to obey. We have to think about it. So how do we find the standard? Well, certainly it's not in stores who want to say that my value is in sexuality. Um, certainly it's not social media that tells me my value is in my media presence, which is often based on worldly beauty or provocativeness. God says my value is based in him, and I'm in Christ, and Christ is in God. So when I think through this in my own mind, and I'm struggling with this, and when I'm helping, trying to teach my daughters or those I'm discipling, there are questions that we need to be praying about and considering that I would love a super clear-cut answer in verse 7 of Ephesians that tells me, but the Lord gives us some, some freedom, but also some things to think about. So things to consider, am I seeking glory for myself or glory for God? Is this respectable and modest? God tells us to do that, so what, I need to pray about what that means. Am I showing self-control? Am I fighting against what the world is telling me is beautiful? Am I praying for that in my children or those I'm discipling? Is this focus on serving God or on serving myself? These are much more difficult questions than if a three-and-a-half-inch hemline or a four-inch hemline is better on a pair of shorts, right? It's much more complex. And so, again, it's that idea of this is what the Word says to do. God does tell us something He wants us to do. And then He gives us freedom and time and thought and the church and His Spirit and His Word to struggle and to wrestle with that. So these are the questions to be asking. So, again, it's a, it's a difficult thing but a good thing. Um, here's another application, gender. So in our world, gender is applauded as a choice rather than a decision determined by a good God is what is best for you. So the world paints a very confusing picture that you can choose or be whatever you want and that those who say gender is determined from birth are wrong. Okay, so if we look back to scripture, again, we try to apply this, we know sexual immorality is prohibited. We know that the Bible is clear that any version of sexuality outside of what God has chosen for the individual is sinful. Okay, but then as I'm teaching my kids about this and realize, but I, you also don't get to hate somebody if they're struggling with this because it also is very clear in the verses of, as, and so were some of you, right, that we are in the sin struggle together. So we're also reminded that the list includes covetousness and sinful passion, which is just sinful desire for anything. Well, so we have to, again, separate ourselves from what the world calls good or evil, 
That's clear. We know that. And then at the same time, we need to cling to what God says is good or evil. And at the same time, we cannot hate those who are lost and entangled in the world's lies or who are struggling with sin, who may even be believers around you. And so it may be you. It may be me. And so remembering that sin is entangling and we have a clear right and wrong. Somebody struggling doesn't mean that right or wrong changes, but it means that God's word does say and is clear on these things. And so love, truth, and love is mingled there. Um, it allows us, as we see in Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Sisters, we're likely to struggle with our bodies. Temptations to believe the world's lies are everywhere. Um, whether it's to think we need to look a certain way or dress a certain way or be attracted to other humans sexually a certain way, but we're more than our physical bodies. Sin can run deep, but God is greater still. Um, our society does tend to show us a naturalistic viewpoint that all there is to a person is their body. It's all physical. But God says that there's an inner soul, an inner person, and if we're Christians, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Praise God. We're not forced to submit to the whims of our society or of our own bodies. Let me read these verses to you that say what we should be doing instead. This is the end of Colossians 3. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as image bearers, this is our work. We have so much good work to do. <laughs> we cannot be super, superwoman. She's not real. We can't do everything. We can't be everything. We are limited in our physical bodies. But what we can do moment to moment is to seek God and to live for him in our worship and service. This calls to mind Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So sisters, God gives us a thorough list of what to do with our bodies, <laughs> and it actually leaves us little time and energy for self-absorption or worldly pleasure. Here we may safely place our time and our energies and our attention. Because we're holy and beloved, it starts out there. We should spend time being compassionate and kind and forgiving and meek and patient and loving and peaceful and present with the word of God and teaching others and encouraging others and singing and being thankful and doing everything in the name of Jesus. It's a good list. It's a lot of good things to be able to work on. When we see the new ads come out for clothing, does it fit in this list? When we try on dresses, does it fit in this list? When we're at work, are we thinking of this list? When we're home or at school or online in person, in friendships or in our families, no matter what, our worth is in Christ. And this is how we worship him. Our worth isn't even in doing the things for him. We're reminded first that we're holy and beloved. We may not earn his love, but out of this rejoice and serve him. So once again, you have a body, but your identity isn't your body. Your worth and identity are actually in Christ. All right, let me see if I can do this this time. Woohoo! Yay! All right. Part two, sex and the pleasure and glory of God. Set slide five. 
So part of sanctification is pursuing pleasure in the right things. Part of our fallenness is not finding pleasure in the right things or finding pleasure in the wrong things. All right, Ephesians 5 says, let me make sure, sorry, the next slide. And I'm not going to read all of that, but parts. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Take no part in, jump down to verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, and then verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Um, so sisters, as we consider taking pleasure in the best things and not taking pleasure in the things God has said are not good for us, this is an excellent moment to talk about pornography in some of its forms. So sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, no filthy talk, no foolish talk, no crude joking. These should be out of place in our lives, not what we're known for. Instead, we're supposed to be known for thanksgiving. We're to take no part in the fruitful works, works of darkness. So again, what does this look like? Um, our words reflect our hearts. What goes in is likely what's going to come out. So that means if I'm reading books that are crude or involve affairs or sex outside of marriage, that's going to affect me. It's going to influence me. If I'm watching movies where adultery is present or rampant or glorified and sexual content is present, there's foolishness or crudeness, it's going to affect me. It will color my thoughts and it will come out. It's going to show itself. Okay, I get super convicted over this. I'm an avid reader. And so shows aren't as much my struggle, but I know that because of our world, it's so hard to find a good book. Have you guys experienced <laughs> just finding a good book is very difficult. And so there have been many times that I've started a book and like can feel that stirring and I'm like, oh, but this is a good book. Could I just skim over, like skip the bad parts? And the Lord oftentimes is like, mm, no, the conviction is there, right? My conviction cannot be your conviction. So I'm not saying y'all don't ever watch a movie, don't ever read a book. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the word does tell us that it does, what we put into us does matter, it does affect us, and it affects our purity in the way that we think and in, in our interpersonal interactions with people. Um, so I have to be prayerful about that and careful, and sometimes I have to walk away from something that everybody else can watch or read and it doesn't bother them, but I have to walk away. And so being um, careful to listen to the Spirit and to ask God, is this okay for me? Is this good for me? Is this helping me be closer to Him? Um, so also, pornography, which is defined as just a um, media that's meant to stimulate sexual arousal. So that can be very broad, right? That can even be an ad. Um, if you're struggling with pornography, or if you know someone who is, this is slightly different in that it's very explicitly, tends to be done in secret. It's often exploiting people. Um, pornography is such a trap um, because it can take what is good and make it seem um, evil, and take what is evil and make it seem good. But praise God, sisters, that in Christ there is redemption. In Christ there's forgiveness and there's hope of sanctification over time. God is able to change our desires. He's able to renew our minds and our hearts. Um, and this is one of those where I'm saying um, for any of us that if we're like, I am struggling with this. Like when I see an image, I'm having a hard time getting it out, out of my mind. Or this is something I escape to to not struggle alone, and we're going to be talking about this throughout the day, but 
I feel like sometimes sexual sin are those things that because it feels so shameful, we tuck it away and bury it and maybe ask God to forgive us, but don't talk about it. And then so easily it continues. And so there's something so sweet about having a friend you love and who loves you being like, I'm struggling with this and her saying, I'm going to pray for you in this. Um, We don't have to do it alone and um, praise God for that. And we do know that um, no matter what our sin is, God is greater still. Um, The enemy seeks to destroy, but um, God um, can renew us. So praise the Lord for that. Um, And again, our struggles with lust, uh, it's not just a man thing. (laughs) It may be more nuanced for us. It may be ads or books or Instagram sites or shows that involve things God tells us to stay away from, those unfruitful works of darkness. Ask God what those are and to stay away from them. They're everywhere. We have to be watchful and most of all prayerful to see how sinful patterns of beauty and sex and good away from what God has said has crept into our own lives. We have to compare our thoughts and ideas and actions to scriptural truth, and scripture should always win. Um, Our days are evil. Praise God, again, that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Because of Christ's perfect life, which we can't copy, and his death in our place, we can be made new and have a new heart and the Holy Spirit guiding us. So I want to say one more time, I cannot draw a line of conviction for you. I can't tell you this is where it is, but what I can say Um, is that purity doesn't ask how far can I go before I mess up, but instead asks what pleases the Lord. Um, If you've ever cared for a small child, the electrical plug may seem the most interesting toy in the world, but you would not allow an innocent child to stick their fingers into it. Sisters, I want to challenge you to flee from sin and all of its shiny entanglements. From what I see in scripture, when we get to heaven, we will not be sorry that we experienced less of what the world has to offer. So Ephesians 5 continues, reminding us of roles in marriage, including the wife's submission and the husband's call to love, and it ends with a reminder, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. All right, well, because submission and love and giving of self and sanctification and union are all part of the picture of Christ and the church, it makes sense that these are also parts of marriage. Let me say that one more time. (laughs) Because submission and love and giving of self and sanctification and union are all parts of the picture of Christ in the church, it makes sense that these are parts of marriage as well. The world would present sex as pure self-pleasure and sex within marriage is all dutiful. And this is sorrowful. Incorrect. We We do know from God's word that sex is intended for within marriage. Verse 31 talks of leaving family and clinging to one another. It's known as the comfort. Remember when Rebecca was brought to Isaac and he loves her and is comforted after his mother's death in Genesis 24. The Bible's very clear that it's between a male husband and a female wife. It's also a blessing. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And single sisters, there's some fun stuff coming for you too. So don't, don't leave me yet. <laughs> All right. We're going to cover all bases. Um, So what do you think submission looks like in regards to sex and love and giving of self and sanctification and union? These are questions that are good and worth thinking. If God made two to become one and it was good, so this sex would have been before the fall, then we need to remember that sexual union and godly pleasure within this union is actually a good thing. We can also guess that the way the world presents it is wrong and that there's another better way, one surrounded by faith and worship and service. So again, I want to remind you of Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, sisters, is it strange to know that sexual union should be a living sacrifice, an act of spiritual worship and service? That enjoying a good gift that God has given within marriage between spouses, that this is actually worship. That having physical union and having pleasure in it is a small, incomplete picture of the church's union with Christ and the joy it brings. If we think of it this way, it makes sense then that there will be sanctifying seasons, whether due to hormonal struggles or marital struggles or life or fear or sin, um, that make this joy and union more difficult. Um, Here's a consideration, some possibilities, applying spiritual disciplines to this. Possibilities might include praying before and during and after union, having worship songs on during times of intimacy, asking for prayer from your husband or a trusted sister um, when you're struggling, um, pressing in on faith, preparing beforehand. God meant for union within marriage to bring pleasure, and that's meant to reflect the union and love of Christ and his bride, the church. That's why it's so important to prayerfully and carefully and sometimes with the help of godly sisters to work toward godly pleasure in marital intimacy. Now, I have to tell you that in preparing for this talk, I noticed how uncomfortable I was saying the word pleasure. I was like, oh my goodness, it's like a naughty word. Um, For real, Um, it's true that in our world, it is often used as a self-satisfying word, right? That's traditionally how it's used. However, it's used in the Bible super frequently, at least 45 times in both the Old and the New Testament. It's actually a very common word in Scripture. So some examples include Psalm 147.11, which says, But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 149.4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, And pleasure in this sense is translated as delight and sweetness and good purpose. And so how that's a sweet thing. Enjoying the good pleasures then that God has given pleases the Lord and reflects how we think about our relationship with him. We are, after all, the bride of Christ. So there may be times in life when duty is at the forefront. And I can think of this in all ways, when my quiet times are completed because I know it's right. As an example. But if I remain there, it could be a signal that something's wrong. If my, I keep just doing quiet times because I'm supposed to. So think of that in marriages, in sexual union, and even in friendships in the church. There may be times and seasons where you serve because it's the right thing to do. But if you stay there, it may show there's something hindering your affection in those relationships. And there may be times where delight rules the other side, where I'm truly enjoying the Lord and his word and his people. And there will also be those moments in relationships, uh, both in marriage and friendships, that are easier, that are more affectionate. But either way, we're called to love one another and to serve one another. Okay, for my single sisters, whether unmarried or widowed, can I please cry out to you that the world often lies to you and that you indeed are more than who you have sex with or don't have sex with. That not having sex does not make you less of a person. Personhood is more than getting to have sex or not. Christ did not have sex and he was no less. He had no less pleasure in the Father. The book Confronting Christianity makes some excellent points on this topic. And I have to admit, even as a married woman reading these, I was like, whew, this is hard, but it's true. I'm going to read it to you. Rebecca McLaughlin notes that while the first Christians faced every kind of suffering, even being stoned to death, there was one struggle they did not face. It was loneliness. 
if we reduce Christian community to sexual relationships and the nuclear family only, we're utterly failing to deliver on biblical ethics. She also notes that in a biblical framework, friendship is not a consolation prize for those who fail to gain romantic love. Like marriage and like parenthood, it is another way in which God manifests an aspect of his love for us. There is unity and love and affection within the body of Christ, for if one suffers, all suffer together. So what we all must remember is that many pleasures and gifts belong to some and not others, and this is for all of us. Some of us may never have great wealth or beauty or power. Some may never walk or hear or see. The pleasures God gives to each are no less sweet, but are different for each child he loves. Seeking pleasures others have been given, but that have been withheld from you by a loving father denies the sweet pleasures that you have been given. All right, last point, part three. Don't make me on time. We're to be satisfied in God alone. Sisters, sex is a gift, not a need. The world cannot comprehend being satisfied in God. I'll say that one more time. The world cannot comprehend being satisfied in God. So we are constantly told and reminded that we must fulfill our own needs to be happy, and the world will tell us that sex is one of those, and that's a lie. Sex is a gift to be enjoyed, not a need to be fulfilled. It's not something we're entitled to. We don't hold the right to have a hot body or to be desired for our sexuality. We are, however, commanded to delight in God, our creator and sustainer. Those, all those ideas of worship and service that we've read about already. Even noting, Brad, a couple of weeks ago where he talked about trust and obedience are meant to be intertwined. Trusting that God has given us what is good regarding our womanhood and sexuality and walking in obedience to him through what he has revealed in his word, this works both for our good and for his glory. I want to leave you with Romans 7. Romans 7, 21 through 8, 5. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man, woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Sisters, please do not be deceived by what the world says is good. Pray and compare what you see and hear and think. Compare it to what the Word of God says is good and choose what is better, the things of the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we do pray to remember there's no, no condemnation. And so where conviction has stirred or sin is present, Lord, forgive us and set us free from it and help us find other sisters to fight alongside. And Lord, um, where there is peace, help us to be faithful and to look more and more like you and less and less like the world. Give us conviction where we need it. Um, give us grace to follow you. And thank you so much that we are no longer slaves to sin, but have been set free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
this on? Is this on? Yeah? Okay. Um, so, okay, great. Uh, so, Song of Solomon 2, 3 through 7. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for, lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay. Can you all hear me? Great. Um... Uh, it's my, my name is Erica Dennett. Uh, it's my joy and privilege to be up here um, talking about this subject with you guys once again. Um, sorry, I'm going to stop saying um, and I'm going to settle in here in just a minute. So uh, like Ruth said, I'm not up here because I think I'm some expert on why God created sex, but rather because I just want to ensure that we have healthy biblical dialogue about it. Um, the world is upfront and open about it, we must be able to counter the world's twisted message on sex with the truth of scripture. And we must be able to face the sin that still affects all of us, inside of us and outside of us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There is no temptation that is not common to all. So we all struggle with this temptation to go outside the boundaries of sex set for us in scripture. At some point, we will all have a problem with this. Um... We can all relate to Augustine's prayer. As I prayed for the gift of chastity, I had even pleaded, grant me chastity and self-control, but please not yet. <laughs> so this morning we're going to very quickly explore how sex is used incorrectly by others and by ourselves. And I just want to say, I am just doing a very quick helicopter view of this. If you have more questions or if you um, need more information, 
there are certainly people that will talk to you about it and that there are lots of resources that I can give you um, to explore some of these topics a little bit further. So if this doesn't like satisfy your need to go into all of these topics, uh, then just come and talk to me. Look back at the resource list that we sent out. There's some great resources on there. But we're going to go real quick. So the Bible itself is not quiet. So we're going to talk about how sex is used incorrectly by others and by ourselves and the hope that we have in Christ. Okay. So first we'll talk about how it's used by others incorrectly. Um, the Bible is not quiet about the sexual abuse of women and the use of sex for another's own glory and gratification. Um, Abraham and Sarah exploit Hagar for their own benefit. David himself uses his power and his position to take the object he desires, Bathsheba. And I do mean object because he's not looking at her like she's a human. He's looking at her like she's an object, which is the exact same thing that pornography is. And yes... Um, in Genesis 34, Shechem forces himself on Dina, committing what was considered an outrageous act even in ancient Israel. Uh, Dina's brother, uh, brothers, Jacob's sons, plunder an entire city in vengeance for their sister's assault. And in 2 Samuel 13, Amnon rapes his sister, half-sister Tamar, who pleads with him not to commit such an act. The misuse of sex for another's own glory and gratification runs throughout Scripture. God is fully aware of how sin has completely broken our world. He is not sitting idly back, allowing evil and wickedness to flood our world. From the beginning, he had a plan to reconcile the world to himself and to judge the world for their wickedness. That plan is Christ, and our hope is in a future that will have no sin and no tears. I also want to make clear that church history is full of the misuse and abuse of sex against women. So the requirement in the 12th century that all priests must be celibate and could not marry had a direct effect on the way women and sex were spoken about in the church for centuries. So in her book, Feminine Threads, Diana Lynn Severance says this of that requirement of the priests. So sex almost became synonymous with impurity. Women were demonized and vilified to make marriage less attractive to the clergy. So these teachings from the 12th century can be traced all the way through to the purity movement of the 90s, 1990s, 800 years later. I could do an entire morning on just that. Uh, don't have time. So with this week's release of the investigative report of our own SBC Executive Committee's handling of sexual assaults or mishandling of sexual assaults in our churches, we sadly know that the church of today still handles sexual abuse poorly. We've covered it up. We've made excuses, we've condemned the wrong people, and we've protected the perpetrators. Statistics tell us that 81... Oh, that's not the right place. There it is, sorry, guys. So statistics tell us that 81% of women in the U.S. have been sexually harassed or assaulted in some form. Eight out of ten of us. So there's no need for us to bring testimonies for you today because almost all of us have one. Um, if it's not you, then it's your friend. We all have a friend. Um, one in five of us have experienced rape or attempted rape. I would guess that that number is actually higher, but we don't like to label certain things as rape. Uh, scripture teaches us a couple of things about the God that we serve and his view on violent acts of sin against another. So one, we can trust God to ju render justice righteously. God is a just God. So let's listen to the words of Psalm 9, verses 7 to 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. 
He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people's the people with uprightness. Praise God that vengeance is in his hands. Praise God for his wrath that judges righteously. Um, two, God's word also reveals to us a suffering servant, able to relate to unjust, violent acts committed against another. Jesus was beaten, mocked, and murdered, while being completely innocent of all churches, charges. Isaiah 53 says that Christ is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for God's purposes. He truly knows what you have gone through, and you can turn to him in your grief. Three, we know that he will use what others intended for evil for good. That's one of the promises we have in Christ from Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. It might be really hard to see in the midst of our pain that God's going to use this for good, but that's a promise that we can stand on, even if we can't see it in the moment. Um, finally, my, my final point in this is God is the God of the oppressed and the afflicted. So listen to the language of an imagery in Psalm 9, 9 through 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. In Psalm 10, 17 to 18. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God is our refuge. We can trust in the strength of the Lord. When we are abused and assaulted, we can take our grief and our pain to him. He promises to hear us, to strengthen us, to be our strength when we don't have any. He will not turn away from the afflicted that seek him. We can flee to the Lord. If you have been sinned against sexually, I urge you, sisters, to talk to someone about your experience, to be open with a trusted friend or counselor. And this is why I'm so thankful for the counseling group that John Henderson and Anna Nunn have started, because we have sisters who can walk with you through these things, who can talk through them with you, who can lament with you and grieve with you. Um, God is a God that is just. He knows what you have gone through. He will use it for good, and he will be your strength. So our own sexual sin is also just as egregious in God's eyes. We use sex for our own glory and gratification. When we seek sex outside of the boundaries of a marriage between one man and one woman, we seek our own glory instead of God's and our own gratification instead of satisfaction in Christ and all that he has given. So we start asking sex to do for us what it cannot do. It cannot ultimately satisfy. It cannot fulfill us. And the more we ask it to do so, the harder it becomes to stop. Make sure I'm on the right page. When we use sex for our own glory, we exploit the power that we can have over others and become gluttons for the attention and approval our own glory brings. Women are just as capable of immoral eroticism as men are. We know how to fulfill and arouse lust in ourselves and in others and we know how to use that power to manipulate others in our lives. That might look like sexual frigidity towards our husbands in order to get something from him or express anger towards him. 
It might look like flirting with a coworker in order to feel better about ourselves or posting a certain photo on Instagram for the comments we'll get. Or it might be going out on the town looking for a guy to pay for our drinks. Scripture is full of examples of this too. Like I said, Sarah exploited Hagar for her, her own glory. Delilah used sex to gain power over Samson. And let's listen to Proverbs 7, the ultimate example of a woman using sex to mani- manipulate another. Verses 10 to 23. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens with the, oh, from Egyptian linen. So fine sheets from, with Egyptian cotton are still, was still a thing way back then. Um, I have perfumed my, my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an hour, arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. So notice how the woman used her words to seduce and lure the naive young man. And while we might not be able to relate to the femme fatale, We can all face the temptation to use our sexual nature to manipulate the power we have over others for our own glory. The other way we we misuse sex is for our own gratification. So I'm glad, so Ruth talked about this, about how sex is not um, the same as need, as intimacy. So we must not confuse the need for intimacy with sexual pleasure. The two are entwined in marriage, but are actually very different things. So we all need intimacy. God created us to need him and to need others in our lives in deep, meaningful ways. Sexual pleasure is not a need. We know this because we know that a person can live a whole, fulfilling, God-glorifying life without it. We know this, as Ruth said, because Christ did. A person can live their entire life without sex, but a person cannot live their entire life without intimacy. They're not the same thing, and equating them often leads to sin, especially for women who tend to be wired toward emotional lust that leads to erotic lust. I mean, we, we like romance, right? If we confuse the need for intimacy with sexual desire, we will turn from looking to God to satisfy us and ask pleasure to satisfy our need for intimacy. When we look for our needs to be fulfilled from pleasure, we are worshiping the created thing instead of the one who created the pleasure. The New Testament teaches us how to love selflessly instead of lust self how to love selflessly instead of lust selfishly. I did that to myself. <laughs> Our culture tells us that sex brings the ultimate fulfillment in life. We become obsessed with what God is not giving us that our culture says we need and think that sex is the ultimate goal of our humanity. Our own Christian culture can tell us virtually the same thing, that marriage will solve any struggles that we may have in this area, and it's the easy answer to indulge sexual sexual gratification instead of honestly seeking the Lord's will for such a lifelong commitment. 
we condemn men for the graphic nature of pornography, although I know for sure that women also watch it. Then we pick up our romance novel that builds a slow arousal of what David Pallison calls narrative emotion candy instead of the eye candy of pornography. That was convicting. <laughs> Uh, sisters, we must, we must be just as aware of the temptation for verbal pornography as visual pornography, like Ruth went into. Uh, um, it's very much a temptation for us. So misunderstanding sexual gratification as a need that must be fulfilled has led to the societal acceptance of female masturbation, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, open relationships, and the idea that what happens to our bodies does not affect who we are as a person. So seeking to gratify ourselves when God won't give us what we need might give ourselves, so, means that we might give ourselves to any man that at least temporarily fulfills our longings for being loved, approved, and attractive. Often in our response to being sinned against, we label ourselves damaged goods and give up caring what happens to our physical bodies. Or we might give in to the same sex attraction that approximately 14% of all women have. Same-sex attraction is real. It is outside the boundaries that God has given us. But it's also simply an attraction to a person you shouldn't be attracted to. And who here can say that they have not been attracted to someone other than their husband? Giving in to the desires of our flesh, seeking to control our own gratification instead of trusting the Lord's sovereignty and providence in our lives is one of the ways we can sin in this area. Conversely, we might struggle with the opposite side of the ditch, avoiding intimacy, closing ourselves off from all forms of intimacy in order to protect ourselves from an incorrect physical intimacy. Wives, do we neglect to think sexual thoughts about our husbands, maybe because the idea of sex seems dirty, distasteful, or an unpleasant duty? The, song, the words of Song of Solomon shouldn't shock us or embarrass us. The different seasons in marriage, whether it's the honeymoon phase or childbearing and child rearing or empty nesters can change the way we feel about sex and how our husbands feel about it and can cause confusion and pain until we sort out those changes with our spouse. Do we make excuses for not wanting to give ourselves to our husbands instead of rejoicing in the intimacy that reflects God's character? Sex isn't given to us to indulge in pure self-pleasure like Ruth said but we also shouldn't think of it as all dutiful either. Attempting to meet our need for intimacy and our desire for sexual pleasure in our own ways that are outside of God's good plan says that God cannot or will not meet our needs. I must take control for myself and put myself on the throne of my heart instead of Christ. Friends, I don't want you to underestimate the depravity that we all have within us we all fall short of the glory of God. That means that none of us can meet the standard required by God. But thankfully, Christ bore the punishment for our sins, and out of his anguish, we are made righteous. When we repent and believe in Christ, we are reconciled with God and are made into new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise God. In the fall of 2018, Erin spoke on what kind of new creation we are. So she said that although we often talk about ourselves as if we are a broken or leaky vessel, and therefore will hold on to shame from our own sin or sin committed against us, that's not the picture we see in the New Testament. 
regeneration or rebirth means he has formed us into an entirely new vessel without crack or leak. And he fills us until we are overflowing with the riches of Christ. Our sin causes us to feel naked and ashamed, but Christ bore our shame and clothed us in his righteous robes so that we can confidently draw near to God because we are accepted and loved in him. I have two final application points for us this morning. First, we must understand the nature of our temptation and flee from it. Examine what leads you into temptation so you can run from it more quickly. If we get married, we may have to relearn new patterns of sexual arousal. Whether married or not, we may have to learn how to cut off unhealthy patterns of lust. We might have to do the hard work to change our thought patterns. We don't talk about that a lot, but our thoughts are really important. Philippians 4.8 is a great passage to go to if you need help changing your thought patterns. Uh, Bennett Cox, in a recent high school ABF lesson, gave a great illustration on temptation. If an alcoholic is sitting in his home and has a strong temptation to drink, he has to get up, get in his car, drive to the liquor store or bar, and buy a drink. The time to flee for this person is not when he's in the liquor store or in the bar with a drink in hand. The time to flee is when he's at home and has that first fleeting thought. The same is true of sex. If we wait until we are alone with the other person or alone with our computer and our hormones are raging, the ability to flee from that temptation will be so much harder. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 has this encouragement for us. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone and when he falls and has not another, another to lift him up. I encourage you to find someone who will hold you up if you fail. That leads to my second point. We must be a church of deep relationships. We must be able to trust the care of our souls to each other. We are created for intimacy. Our culture says that intimacy must be sexual in nature, but that's not what we see in the New Testament. The way that John and Paul speak of their brothers and sisters in Christ is one of deep love and affection. Marriage is not the only place in scripture that we see the principle of one body intimacy. The church is the other place. This gives hope to all of us, but particularly to the single person and the woman struggling in our marriage. Um, Sam Alberry shared an anecdote that I thought was really helpful. Intimacy is a lot like food. If your only choice was between starvation and eating really bad food, you'd choose really, really bad food because you've got to eat something. If the choice in church is no intimacy or unbiblical forms of intimacy, you'll end up going with unbiblical forms of intimacy because we need intimacy. We're designed to be known and to have deep and rich interactions with each other. We need to provide healthy biblical ways of experiencing intimacy in our churches. We need to recover a biblical understanding of friendship. We should have intimacy with our church family because we are called to be one body. In her book, The Good Portion, The Church, Erin Wheeler says, <laughs> I didn't ask her because I knew she would say, no, don't do it. It's a really good quote, guys. <laughs> it's our privilege to carry each other's burdens and sorrows, forgive and be forgiven, cross barriers and be united together, 
bearing with one another in love for the sake of our gospel witness. Our church needs to reflect the unity of the gospel in our friendships and our in discipleship relationships. So if you aren't discipling someone, or if you're not being discipled, I encourage you to find someone. If you've tried, don't give up. We don't have to understand or relate completely to what the other person has gone through. We just need to be able to encourage each other to be Christ-like. Um, so Jackie Hill Perry says, sexuality is not your primary issue. It's your heart. We should disciple holistically, teaching others to love Jesus with their whole heart, mind, and soul. This will reach and pour into our sexuality. Find someone that's going to teach you to be like Jesus. So I would encourage each of you to find friendships that will hold you accountable to your temptations and sins. Develop a discipleship relationship that will, uh, with someone older than you and someone younger than you. And finally, reach out to Anna Nunn and the women's counseling team here at UBC to talk through some of the, these harder things. Okay, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us such good things in our lives like friendship, sex, and marriage. Thank you that we have the opportunity to glorify you in our bodies and in our lives. Lord, help us to find satisfaction in you and you alone. May the Holy Spirit bring true conviction in our lives over our sin and help us to lay aside the deeds of our flesh and the things of this world. Help us to be bold with each other, to love each other more fiercely, and to cling to forgiveness and grace in our relationships with one another. May we glorify you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, okay. Okay, so uh, our women, our UBC has a women's counseling team. It, that's led by Anna Nunn. So please welcome Anna Nunn up to the stage. Can y'all hear me? I mean, I know you can hear me just from speaking in the room, but can you hear me in the microphone? Yeah. Cool. Um, like Erica said, my name is Anna Nunn. I am doing the women's counseling ministry with John. And so that's been a really exciting new thing that started this year. We have a team of wonderful ladies, um, diverse in age and experience that can sit with you, walk with you through just what might be presenting itself in your life, whether that's a personal struggle, whether it's something that's come up with your family, something that's historically been um, just a pain or, or a question in your life, we would love to meet with you. Um, my email is, it's on the web, the UBC website, but it's easy to remember because it's a nun at ubcfayetteville.org. So email a nun, it's me, um, and we would love to get you set up with someone and just hear your heart and uh, walk with you. So without further ado, I'm going to bring up Haley Hayes, Taylor Tartaglia, and where are you? Sophia Boudreaux. <laughs> I was like, where's Sophia? Um, and we're going to get started with some panel discussion. These women have uh, volunteered to help us think through some just situations that might arise around the topics that we've talked about today. Um, and I will, here, I'm going to sit with you guys, but I can sit by you and bring this lovely cord with me. Um, and yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. So, so the first question that we have, uh, I have for you, Haley, um, 
And that is how can we talk about sex more and better with one another? And how do you start that conversation of sharing? How would you ask and who would you choose to talk to? So I know it's a multi-layered question, but. So normally I try to start with the song, let's talk about sex. <laughs> if we're gonna, do you guys know that song? <laughs> let's talk about sex, baby. baby. <laughs> so that's, that's what we do, that's what I do when I meet with someone um no I think that um <laughs> this question has kind of already been answered um I think it is a sl it's slow like you don't just come in guns a blazing like very first time you meet with someone like let's get like let's just jump let's tell me everything about sex like we don't do that um I think that it depends you know it's very nuanced it depends on like if this person is married or not married or you know whatever um, so I think like building trust, that takes time. Um, and I think sometimes you have to be uncomfortably persistent. That is hard, but necessary. Um, and then sometimes you do have to just like drag things into the light that are there. And that is hard and uncomfortable also, but that has been beneficial even in my own life of like learning how to do that. With just a few like trusted people, I don't think you just like go around, like I'm not gonna talk to every single one of you guys here like explicitly about like explicit sex, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think it's just like nuanced and with sp specific people that you've built trust with and then being willing to like take the time to slowly like build that confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So then even as um, Ruth and Erica talked about that need for relationship, um, it's going to be really necessary there to be able to even have those conversations, to have people that you trust, that you can be open with, and to really facilitate in intimate relationships amongst friends and disciplers and things like that. So thank you, Haley. Um, Sophia, with a situational kind of question. So say you've been meeting with a young wife to help her through her husband's pornography addiction, and she recently tells you that she was raped a short time before her marriage. And she doesn't think it's a big deal or that it's affecting her marriage. How can we think about a situation like that? Maybe what would you say? Yeah. Um, so I would first pray and ask the Lord to give me a tender heart um, and an understanding heart. I'm already in the situation where you're talking with her about or walking her through her husband's pornography addiction. I think her heart's in a very gentle place as it is. Um, and then this new revelation of being raped. So I would, I think I would first ask um, how she has dealt with that trauma, um, how she has dealt with it, with the incident, and has she received counsel um, for it? Um, if, if so, um, maybe just kind of go through what she's learned and what, you know, that counsel has been. Um, and also, if she hasn't, um, highly recommend that she seek um, biblical counsel because there's there's a layer there of not thinking that rape is a big deal. Um, mm. it, it seems that she suppressed this, that this is something that she's not dealing with. And anytime, I think we discuss the oneness that the Lord um, has created in marriage, and when that is broken and violated by the world and by sin, that has downstream effects, and those things are going to come out in her marriage. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I would feel like in this situation, <clears throat> she needs regular counsel with this. There's a, there's some deep heart issues there um, that I don't honestly feel qualified to, to meet with um, 
uh, on a professional basis, but I would continue to be there for her and give her the, the truth of the promises of God and um, to remind her of the trustworthiness of the Lord um, and just work in tandem with the counsel that she's getting and to commit to pray for her through those things. So. Yeah. yeah, I loved what you said, the emphasis on first prayer and second, working on compassion and understanding, not jumping to answers, not jumping to fixing. Um, but that truly, we're not going to walk through something hard with a sister apart from Christ and it be successful. Um, that there needs to be prayer, there needs to be patience. Um, and that when it comes to issues of, you know, sexual abuse, sexual pain, that, that those things do bleed into our lives. They're not just a one-stream channel. They, they can affect us in ways that we might not even be aware of. And so when you're coming, you might be coming to someone for counsel for a pornography addiction of your spouse, and then, oh, by the way, I also have this thing that I've been through. Those things are going to be affecting one another. Um, it's no small thing. So um, loved what you said, Sophia, just the the need to seek counsel, um, that it's not a small deal. It's it's a big deal because it's Im it's important to uh, the God of our lives and should be important to one another as we share those things. So thank you, Sophia. Um, and then our third question is for Taylor. Um, so say you have a new friend at church that you've started spending a bit more time with, and when you're around her and her husband, he seems unkind and she seems often fearful, and you're beginning to wonder if she's abused. What considerations will go through your mind? Yeah, um, I think lots of stuff that we've started with already uh, is super helpful. Obviously, um, I would want to seek the Lord with this situation, especially as, as they're a newer friend. Um, I think approaching someone in this situation comes with lots of um, care and... Um, Maybe not timid, timid's not the right word, but approaching it very wisely, um, kind of as you were saying before, like not just going in guns and blazing with this one either, uh, but I also think it's worth asking um, questions. I think that if if there's a concern for abuse, I want to be having that conversation with them, and I think asking wise questions about the relationship. Um, asking questions about what things are like at home and what things are like with their relationship. What are arguments like? What what happens when, when arguments happen? What does it look like? So that I can gain a lot more information about, about what I um, am suspecting that's happening. And then I think um, as things are revealed, as I learn more, um, being very gracious and thankful to them for being willing to speak to me about stuff and then and then taking that to the Lord and trusting him um, praying with them on on what next and then kind of um, as I said before connecting them to resources um, and connecting them to to pastors to our counseling team who can help um, if if it is found that that my kind of um, concerns are, are true um, yeah yeah yeah, I love that. Just, again, with all of these, I think it's going to be a pretty common thread with every answer. Patience, understanding, prayer, really trying to 
gather information before jumping to conclusions, recognizing that um, her spouse is made in the image of God as well. And so wanting to, while caring for her, make sure that you are caring for him, even if that looks like getting them away from one another um, and doing that slowly. And so, um, yeah, loved what you said, Taylor, just about recognizing that although it might seem like that from the outside, it is going to take getting to know that sister. Um, while there is a sense of urgency, absolutely. Um, letting your pastors know, letting them know, hey, I just have this feeling I'm, I'm going to keep meeting with her, but um, just trusting that the Lord will reveal what is to be revealed in the time that it's to be revealed too, and that we don't have to do the work of the Spirit because that's the Spirit's job. Um, okay, and then Sophia, my next question. Um, again, like a situation. Uh, so say your daughter comes home and says the new girl on the soccer team is nice, but she wants to be called by the pronouns they, them. She doesn't think that her teammate is a Christian and wants to be nice, but doesn't want to encourage the girl in wrongdoing. She also knows she might get in trouble with her coach if she doesn't use the teammate's requested pronouns. How would you counsel your daughter? It's tricky. <coughs> and I think our kids are, this is what they're going to have to face from now on. So um, so my first thought was to pray with my, my daughter um, and ask the Lord for wisdom um, and discernment and that she would use gracious words um, and that the Lord would enable her to have boldness and give her gospel opportunities when talking with her with her friend or teammate um, I think then I would remind her um, about what God says about gender so knowing that just oh it's wrong that she says that but why why is it wrong and so I would I have a piece of scripture here but I would probably obviously start in Genesis and just kind of walk her through you know, God's, to remind her um, of God's design, man and woman, um, reminder of all the couples in the Bible that God, you know, designed that they were all man and woman, and just, just those basic things, and then maybe go to Romans 1 and see how sin and man has distorted um, God's creation and the consequence for that, and so why this is a big deal. Um, and then I would probably talk to her about... Um, uh, brotherly or, or loving our neighbor um, again guns a blazing is not the approach um, but also boldness and being true to what the Bible says about gender and um, I think that um, there's a fine line and I think in, in some of these situations uh, it's according to your conscience um, if you want to be truthful right up front um, when speaking, well, as a band-aid, I go back. As I kind of feel like it's a band-aid, but I would just say, don't use her the, the pronouns. Just call her by their name to, to try to avoid even being in that situation. But there are going to be times when you're going to actually have to address this. And I think graciously and in the beginning, sharing why you would, you know, you prefer to call her by the real pronouns, um, she will face persecution probably. Um, mm -hmm. And then going through scripture about persecution and what Jesus said about persecution and um, in Romans about, you know, but nothing can separate us persecution from the love of God and encouraging that she has, she won't be the first, mm -hmm. you know, if she loses her spot on the team, that standing for the truth um, of the word is going to cost us sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but on the flip side, I don't think that it should be, it's because God said this and the Bible says this. And so um, being at peace um, with all men, living in harmony with one another, loving your neighbor as you love yourself, just praying through 
having those discussions when and how to say um, what you believe. Um, it's kind of a tricky situation. And if, if um, someone was like, hey, I want to be called by this name, and it's like completely different, you know, you ha it's, it's, I think it's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, it's tricky. I think it's going to take a lot of discernment and, and prayer, um, teaching, you know, a young lady to be true to what the Bible says, but also to be gracious. And, and with the goal of always having that line of communication for a gospel opportunity to be able to share the gospel, because it's going to be hard to share the gospel with somebody that you've offended right up, fr up front. Mm -hmm. um, but you also don't want to bend on the word of God. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, a lot of prayer for discernment on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with how prevalent that's becoming and will continue to be in the lives of not only our children, but one another, um, that it's an opportunity to be reminded of the truth of the word, but also to encourage an opportunity for a gospel conversation to be had just to share the truth of the word and then to live out the truth of the word. Um, it can all be done in love and peacefully even if it does result in persecution because ultimately it's not about our comfort but it's about uh, the truth of God's word and um, loved what you had to say okay and then next for Taylor um, another situation say you're pretty sure that your friend who's a fellow church member is having sex with her boyfriend how would you approach that subject with her yeah um I think kind of similarly as we talked about before um Gosh, I was I was thinking through the verses of how we are called to speak truth and love, and as a believer um, and part of UBC, I want and need and desire the people in my life to speak to me about the hard things. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is a situation where being able to recognize that it's okay that it probably will be uncomfortable. Um, but doesn't mean that it's less loving because it's uncomfortable. And so uh, kind of as I, I kind of would approach it the same way I would the last one where I'd, I'd ask lots of questions. Um, it probably depends on the level of how well I know this person uh, on how direct I would want to be. If it's one of my really good friends, we talk about lots of things, I would probably just ask um, if it's someone who I know less, I'd ask lots of questions about their relationship, um, what it looks like. I'd, I'd seek out conversations about purity and what that looks like for them um, and how they're doing it. And then I would walk with them and, and help put myself forward as someone who wants to be walking with them through through their relationship, being involved mm -hmm. and knowledgeable so that they might better glorify the Lord in that relationship as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, approaching them in love, not disgust, recognizing that this is something to be worked through like anything, but that it is serious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. And then I think we have time for one more question. Um, Haley. Okay, so what effects do you think social media has on viewing yourself as made in the image of God? And how do you fight the world's messages? What are the world's messages about? Uh, what are the world's messages, and how are they different from what God says about you? So this is interesting. Um, <clears throat> my husband works in finance, so he is always like watching the. He does a lot of like nerdy stuff, and he's always watching like the stocks go up and down on different things. But he was telling me that um, we were talking about social media, and he said the thing about social media is, if you are using it for free, then you are the product. So it's using you. Um, like it's there, it's a money 
interesting, you know. Um, oh, hello. Um, so thinking of it like that, of like how, just like how am I using it? How am I using social media? Um, I try to just like keep an eye on myself. Do I use it as a pacifier? Like every time I am tired or bored, do I just pick it up? Um, like a baby would pick up a pacifier or do I use it intentionally? Do I have like specific times and ways that I use it? Um, so I think starting there of just knowing your own patterns of like how you use it and when you use it and why you use it and being aware of how it's using you, um, that's like a good place to start. And then from there going into like how do I feel whenever I've spent a lot of time on social media? How does it make me feel about myself? How is like how does it affect my body image? What kinds of things am I, I th Ruth talked about this, like once they go into my eyes or ears, then it goes into my heart and then it comes out of my mouth. And mm -hmm. because out of my heart is what is coming out of me. And so, um, and the way that I like think about myself. So I think just being like super careful of like the input and being like that just takes a level of self-awareness and like accountability maybe. Mm -hmm. um, can you say the second part of the question again? Sorry, I had yeah. a more things to say. <laughs> no, you're great. Yeah. Um, how do you fight the world's messages, and what are the world's messages, and how are they different from what God says about you? Yeah, so um, I just read this excellent book that is about the Trinity, Delighting in the Trinity, and um, she, he talks about how whenever we um, sin, it's turning our love that is meant for Christ toward ourself. It's like turning inward, um, and so I think... Um, realizing that whenever we are thinking too much about ourselves and we're like loving ourselves which is can be a result of like social media makes us do that a lot like think inwardly turn inwardly um realizing that that is that has been sin from the beginning augustine says that um we're just loving wrongly that's sin um so one way that i talk about like body image with my daughter in particular is just from um romans this is i read this passage on sunday Romans 6, where it talks about using your body as a weapon of righteousness. Um, this is Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of your parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So that is like what the, what the Bible calls us, how the Bible calls us to think about using our bodies as weapons of righteousness. So I think um, just like putting all of those things together, thinking about the way that you're using the body, the way, the way that you're using your body, the way that you're using social media, the way that you're viewing your body, the way that you, like what is coming out of you as a result of your time on social media, those are all things to like have a level of self-awareness about. Yeah, thank you. Just the, the need for self-reflection and assessment um, that we all need to be doing, uh, not obsessively, like social media might have us believe that we need to, um, but toward a righteous end, toward the glory of God, not just toward um, living what we would see as an easier, better life. Um, thank you for that. So um, that's kind of all the time that we have. But, you know, again, if these things that we've talked about today, obviously casting a broad net here, um, but if any of them are things that you relate to that you feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was somebody else and I've never talked about this to somebody but it turns out it might be common, I, I would encourage you, please shoot me an email. Um, any of the women up here, Ruth, Erica, please grab us, talk to us after today. If it's more comfortable to give us a call, please look us up in the directory, anything. Um, if nothing else, these things are universally relatable. Um, they're not uh, this dirty secret thing that you have to not talk about, but that 
the Lord made our bodies and our bodies um, were intended for good, not for evil. And he can redeem us and um, shepherd us by his word. And that's something that we can do together in community. Um, so praise God for the church, for one another. Um, and yeah, with that, I will pray to close our time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity of today. Uh, we pray that we would encourage one another and be present in one another's lives, seeking your word for our meaning rather than listening to the world. And we're grateful for your steadfast love and unending mercy. Uh, be with us as we go throughout our days. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.